How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, But God is in His Heaven, a pastoral response to conspiracy theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. That stands the four of the hymn built on the rock. It speaks there of baptism, the Lord's Supper, of the preaching of God's word. Lutheran sacramental theology is something that, oddly, Lutherans sometimes take for granted. If one adopts a low view of the sacraments, can a low view of Scripture itself be far behind? Well, if recent trends in evangelicalism are any indication, the two seem to go together. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to discuss evangelicalism and Lutheran sacramental theology, Pastor Dennis McFadden, a former Baptist pastor. He became a pastor in the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod in 2014. He's pastoral assistant at Emanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dennis, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. It's good to be with you. How has evangelicalism or pop Christianity in America changed over the course of your lifetime? Well, Going all the way back to the beginning, the first emphasis within Christianity was on the idea of the supper, and that was the Catholic view of the Mass, and that lasted till the Reformation. Then when the Reformation came along, the emphasis was on word and sacrament. And so as long as word and sacrament, variously understood, was held together, there was an idea that the sermon delivered not just information, but the sermon delivered something from God, namely forgiveness, the gospel, good news. But in the last few decades, once we decoupled the sacraments and the word, then there was the reality that the sermon became little more than information. And if the sermon is little more than information, it doesn't surprise me that a lot of non-denominational churches are basically a mini rock concert with a TED Talk. Because the idea is the sermon is conveying information about DIY projects, how to be a better husband, how to raise godly children, how to have a better love life, how to get out of debt. And so it's how-to material. And there's been a loss of the sermon in a, carrying a sacramental meaning to it. And so today, the very ecstatic contemporary worship, which appeals to the emotions, is the replacement for finding transcendence. During the time of the Reformation, the word and the sacrament were conceived of as as delivering something that was real. God made promises to us, and there was an organic connection 
between the promises of God and the means he used to fulfill them, namely through his word, whether it was scripture or whether it was in the sermon or whether it was in the sacrament. That word did something. When you sever that connection between the promise of God and the means he uses to deliver it, then all you have left is information. And I've seen in Baptist, non-denominational, Pentecostal settings just during my 70 years, a real move away from the idea that the Sunday service involved a proclamation of the gospel. Now, it still wasn't Lutheran. It wasn't what we do when we talk about delivering forgiveness to terrified consciences every single week, but it at least there was a sense that the sermon carried good news. And increasingly, the sermon is more today how to have your best life now, how to have a better life. It becomes much more life coaching, and yet there's that craving for transcendence. Where will people find it? Well, they find it in the very emotional, very emotionally evocative rock rhythms of contemporary music that draw people into an ersatz kind of experience of transcendence, I think. What do some Lutherans fail to appreciate about Lutheran theology and practice that someone coming in from the outside, say, in your case, a lifelong Baptist becoming a Lutheran, what do they appreciate about Lutheran theology and practice that sometimes Lutherans, lifelong Lutherans like myself don't? I continually run up against lifelong Lutherans. As I teach in my own church and in other churches, I continually find people who don't believe that the sacraments do anything. I had a person recently, a lifelong Lutheran, engage in a conversation with me where he said, well, when Luther says is means is, isn't he kind of overstating the case? I mean, the Bible is a Middle Eastern document, and Middle Eastern people speak in metaphors and allegories and things like that. And and applying our Western precision to say is means is, is sort of crazy, isn't it? And here was a lifelong Lutheran who didn't believe what Lutherans teach about the value of the Lord's Supper. And I encounter the same thing with the view of baptism. I think we live in an evangelical swimming pool, and it's hard not to get wet. If the books you read, if the literature you consume, if the podcasts you listen to, if the television programs you expose yourself to all emphasize the memorialist understanding that it's all symbolic, just having the pastor say it really is something in communion doesn't gain the traction that all these other inputs gain. And I think that a lot of lifelong Lutherans have lost, maybe it's been too long since they had confirmation, but they've lost the sense that the promises of God are organically connected to the mode he uses to deliver them. And when that word is separated from the sacraments and from a sacramental understanding of the word, it just isn't the same thing. And I think that's the crisis of evangelicalism. That's why when they gave up the idea that the sermon was actually delivering the gospel and it became something more informational, that's part and parcel of how they view the Lord's Supper. It's part and parcel of how they view baptism. Baptism is something we do. We vote with our feet. It's the first act of discipleship. Communion is merely a a memorial remembering of Jesus, who, after all, is sitting at the right hand of the throne of grace. And everyone knows the body can only be in one place at one time, so that's where he is. And, And he certainly can't be here with us in communion. And 
I think that they lose the reality. When I became a Lutheran, the thing that struck me, I wept the first time I heard the pastor absolve the congregation. I wept the first time I received the Lord's Supper. I was on the verge of weeping the first time I baptized a baby because these things were no more memorials. They were something real. These are the very tools and means God uses to deliver his promises to us. And that's a radically different idea. We share with evangelicalism a good bit in common. I appreciated Bill Swirla's program recently where he talked about the many things that evangelicals and Lutherans agree upon. They agree upon the Bible as the inerrant word of God. They agree upon Jesus as the Son of God, his atonement, the Trinity, a number of things. But without a truly sacramental understanding, without sacramental realism, I fear that it endangers the whole enterprise. In fact, it was Professor Jack Kilcrease who made the observation that once you decouple the sacraments and unmoor them from the faith, even justification is going to drift away. It's going to become a subjective reality, a psychological state. It's not going to be something real and efficacious. And that's been my experience as well. It also endangers the whole basis of Christian assurance. It was philosopher Philip Carey who a few years ago said, uh, Protestants operate with a syllogism. Whoever believes in Christ is saved. I believe in Christ, therefore I'm saved. The problem with that is, if it's all based on my faith, I'm either going to look inward at the quantity or the quality of my faith, or I'm going to look outward at the amount of good works I produce to vindicate my faith. And, you know, that's what you're left with when you take away the sacraments. And so I think some lifelong Lutherans don't recognize that the sacraments are absolutely essential, not just to our doctrine, but to our assurance of faith, that to really know and be comforted by the fact that we belong to Jesus Christ, that's something the sacraments deliver to us. That comes in the scripture, it comes in the sermon, it comes in the sacraments, and we don't dare give that up without endangering an awful lot besides just doctrinal distinctions. How and why did you decide to leave your Baptist tradition and not only become a Lutheran, but then also pursue a life as a Lutheran pastor? (laughs) That's a lot bigger question than we can deal with in one interview, Todd. I will say that for me, I was running a retirement home in Southern California and I wanted something to distract me from the mind-numbing details of lawyers and accountants. And I got into a program of Reformation, post-Reformation thought. And as I read, I realized that my Baptist belief didn't stand up to Scripture. Passages like 1 Peter 3.21, baptism now saves you. I kind of whistled past that graveyard. I didn't want to stay too long there because it didn't seem to teach what I was teaching that it meant. And I became very dissatisfied with what I call the doctrine of the real absence of Christ in communion and baptism. And that opened me up to Lutheranism. And then the fact that I had a executive assistant in the retirement home 
was the wife of an LCMS pastor, and she begged me when we moved to Fort Wayne to visit an LCMS church. That kind of cinched the deal. First time we attended Emmanuel in Fort Wayne, I was overwhelmed with the realization of how ignorant I'd been. Let's talk about the trajectory of of evangelicalism. It's easy to point to somebody like Andy Stanley today, who has openly adopted a low view of Holy Scripture, at least the Old Testament, but I think he's headed toward a low view of the New Testament as well, and say, well, he's an outlier. But I take it that you would probably see him as the logical outcome of what was started decades before by the likes of Bill Hybels and Rick Warren. I would see Andy Stanley not so much as an outlier as a pioneer. I think he is on the forefront. He's on the cutting edge of the trajectory of where it's headed. My seminary education was at a progressive evangelical school in California, a very large one. And I remember even back in the mid-70s thinking that this is the direction evangelicalism is moving. My seminary was pushing an egalitarian worldview before the rest of evangelicals adopted. My seminary was pushing the idea of fluid gender categories decades before the rest of evangelicalism adopted it. And so I see Andy Stanley as closer to the mainstream of what we can expect will happen. Now, there are plenty of of Bible-believing, God-honoring evangelical pastors out there. Two of my five kids are pastors in very large evangelical churches, and we have quite interesting discussions about theology. One of them has been in his church for 25 years, and when I attend there, I appreciate the fact that he still tries to proclaim a inerrant Bible and a gospel that saves people. But I think that Andy Stanley is becoming far more exemplary of what the trendy evangelicals are going to be adopting, not all that far in the future. I I think there's another dynamic, though, Todd. It isn't just about sacraments. One of the biggest aha experiences for me becoming a, a Missouri Synod Lutheran was how different our seminaries are. Living here in Fort Wayne, I've had opportunity to fill in for a few professor friends on campus and hobnob with students who are interns at our church over the last 12 years or so. And what I've noticed is, unlike almost all evangelicalism, we reject higher criticism. Most evangelicalism has made peace with higher criticism, at least in a tempered form. And I don't think they realize what that is going to produce in their churches and in their graduates down the road. There are a few decades, perhaps, ahead of the progressive mainliners, but only a few. Say more about that, because, I mean, I've been talking about evangelicalism on this program for decades, and I was not aware of that. When I was in seminary in the 1970s, we were taught that the Pentateuch was mosaic in that it was a mosaic of bits and pieces cobbled together hundreds of years after Moses. We were taught that Jonah was of the genre parable. We were taught that Jesus didn't say many of the things attributed to him and a sophisticated redaction criticism could ferret out what he did and didn't say. We were taught that Paul didn't write Ephesians. 
these are some of the things I was taught in the mid-70s. And in ethics, we were taught that, yeah, maybe God would prefer one man and one woman together for life, but let's get real. And this was all pre-AIDS. We were taught that wouldn't homosexual unions be preferable to one-night stands in bathhouses? And these were the things that I was taught in an evangelical seminary in the mid-1970s. It sounds like you're saying it's only gotten worse? It's gotten worse in that other evangelicals have jumped on that bandwagon. There are some exceptions. There are some evangelicals that try to hold to a relatively non-higher critical approach, but higher criticism is endemic. You read publishers like Erdman's and InterVarsity, and you see the evidences of evangelical compromise with the doctrine of scripture. But again, that goes back to where we started the conversation. When we talk about sacramental realism, we believe that sacramental realism means that God's promises connect to his means of delivery. And we believe he delivers his promises through his scripture. He delivers his promises through the sermon, the proclamation of the gospel, the proclamation of forgiveness of sins. And he delivers the gospel through the sacraments. And our confessional Lutheranism has held fast on all three of those. And evangelicalism always took a little bit different view of sacraments than we do. And over time, the pernicious implications of it, I think, have had their way. And again, you'll find lots of evangelicals who will give formal assent to much of what we believe. I just think that their practice is undermining that doctrine. And in time, they'll find themselves surrendering things that ordinarily they would not have surrendered in earlier eras. Pastor Dennis McFadden is our guest. We're discussing evangelicalism and Lutheran sacramental theology. So how do you go from Charles Stanley with a high view of scripture, very high view, to Andy Stanley with a very low one? This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our study of the Book of Beginnings, Genesis, with Noah and family enter the ark, the great flood commences, the great flood prevails, God remembers, and the dove and olive branch. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. This is Pastor Clint Poppy, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, proud supporter of Issues Etc. Each month we host the Nebraska Lutherans for Confessional Study, a serious study of Lutheran theology. We generally meet on the fourth Thursday of each month from 9.30 to 2.30, and both clergy and laity are invited. There is no charge to attend. For more information, please call the church office or visit our website, goodshepherdlincoln.org, and click on the green NLCS tab. Are you looking for an investment that aligns with your Lutheran values? Look no further than Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Hi, my name is Rahima Kavuga, Director of Synod Relations at LCEF. 
and we're proud to be an entity of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which means our focus is clear. When you invest with LCEF, you're helping LCMS-supported ministries and dedicated church workers. Learn more at lcef.org. Evangelical and Catholic. You're listening to Issues Etc. I think every man, every Christian should consider, at least, the possibility of God calling him into the holy ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Carl Fakencher of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Because that's the way that God has designed for faith in Christ Jesus to be spread, for the gift of eternal life that Christ Jesus earned by his death and resurrection to be shared with people by the washing of baptism for infants and for adults, for the instruction, the proclamation of the word that happens uh, on a nonstop basis in God's kingdom. God uses people, he uses men to be those proclaimers, to be those men who who share the, the sacraments. If you've ever considered becoming a pastor, contact Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Their phone number, 1-800-481-2155, 1-800-481-2155, or visit ctsfw.edu. Pastor Dennis McFadden is our guest. He's a former Baptist pastor, became a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod pastor in 2014. We're discussing evangelicalism and Lutheran sacramental theology. So, Dennis, someone is going to just simply ask, how do you go from Charles Stanley, the elder Stanley, with a very high view of Scripture, inerrancy, inspiration, infallibility, you name it, to Andy Stanley, who has a very low view of Scripture? Andy Stanley was educated in a solidly evangelical tradition and had the example of a father who was exemplary in all the things that you said he was. But I think that some of the older evangelicals were indemnified against these impacts for a couple of reasons. One is, someone once said that Western civilization is puttering along on the fumes of a Judeo-Christian worldview. They gave up the worldview, but there's still some effects of it. Well, I think that people like Andy Stanley still enjoyed the positive effects of evangelicalism's early stress on the gospel, and the Bible is the word of God. And as education and culture began to become preeminent, and the effects of culture began to impact the practice and the study of evangelicals in seminary, I think their desire, in the case of Anthony Stanley, he has a very deep desire for outreach. And I think he genuinely believes that if he recasts everything in user-friendly ways that a secular audience will find inoffensive, he'll have a better chance of winning them to Jesus Christ. Again, part of that is their doctrine of salvation, which puts the emphasis on decision theology. And if the emphasis is on decision theology, then we're all the way back to Charles Finney. If we can just manipulate the means that are used, we can produce decisions. And I think in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christianity, Andy Stanley thinks, you know, why would I want to proclaim what the Bible says about controversial subjects like gender when I can just go along with the flow and maybe soft soap them into the church and then they'll discover Jesus Christ. 
I think that's part of what's been happening, Todd. So when the Great Commission, for lack of a better place to point in Scripture, when the Great Commission effectively displaces the doctrine of justification, and with that, the solas of the Reformation, it sounds like whatever means are necessary, even if they're contrary to Scripture on the face of it, are uh, permissible. I think that's largely true. I, I also think, though, that for them, their doctrine of free will contaminates the project. If my emphasis is on the free will of the listener, and I think my task is to use every means possible to persuade them to become a Christian, then I'm going to be doing more reading of persuasion theory and more reading of modern psychology and more cultural anthropology and more contemporary pop culture deep digs than I am going to be exegeting the Bible. Because if the emphasis is on the, the human will, then the method is going to be whatever works in a pragmatic way to get the will inclined to believe the message. And I think we need to keep reaffirming what Luther said in the small cult articles. We should and must insist that God does not want to deal with us human beings except by means of his external word and sacrament. Everything that boasts of being from the Spirit, apart from such a word and sacrament, is of the devil. And that's a theme that Chris Roseborough hammers away with on your program, that these people think that they have the Spirit speaking directly to them. Luther called that enthusiasm and uh, associated it with the original sin, the idea, has God really said? And when we quit looking at the word for what God has really said and we look into our own emotions Unfortunately, the human heart is deceitful and wicked above all things, and our emotions are not reliable guides to knowing how to proceed, either theologically or methodologically. Do these things kind of hang together? Does a low view of the sacraments adopted by evangelicalism necessarily lead toward a low view of Scripture? I don't think they necessarily do for the reason Pieper used to give when he talked about a felicitous inconsistency. I think if you look at it from a, a doctrinal architectural <laughs> position, you would say they all fit together rather neatly. But blessedly, a lot of people don't carry out the logic of their position. And so there are still people who believe that the Bible is the word of God and it interprets us, we don't interpret it. And because of that, it tempers some of the bad effects of their inadequate view of sacraments. But I think conversely, if you have a high view of sacraments and of the word itself and how God works in delivering promises to us through his, his word, which is in scripture and his word, which is preached and proclaimed in confession absolution and his word, which comes to us in the sacraments, if you have a high view of that, it will tend to keep you, I think, with a higher view of Scripture. But surrendering those makes it harder to maintain that high view of Scripture, particularly when there are sophisticated attacks by people within the Christian faith that keep asking the Genesis 3 question, has God really said? When I went through seminary in the 70s, I kept coming home and telling my wife, I said, these people are doing a rerun on Genesis 3. You get to a passage and, and somebody says, well, Noah's Ark. Well, has God really said? I mean, is it really necessary to believe that? Can't that be just a literary 
device that's used by the author of Genesis to make a point. So that kind of a naysaying mindset, I think, runs through a lot of progressive mainline scholarship. And unfortunately, it's infected a lot of of conservative scholarship. As I say, not everywhere. I would put my two kids who are pastors up against anybody in terms of their commitment to the word of God, their commitment to the the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, the necessity of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But if you look at the culture, it isn't moving in our direction. We have a unique place in the sun, and we have a unique role to play as Lutherans to proclaim a message which is absolutely the best thing going. My wife and I talk to each other daily about how we appreciate the piety of Lutheranism. So much of our past life was was either looking inward and self-doubting to measure either the quantity or the quality of our faith or looking outward at our observable works as evidences of, of our faith. And the Lutheran approach to the faith is liberating at that point. We have genuine good news to offer. We could tell people that they are forgiven through Jesus Christ and by baptism they are united into his death and resurrection, and they have a certain hope of the future as they move toward their end game in their physical body. They have a future ahead of them, and this is entirely good news for us. I wish more lifelong Lutherans appreciated that. Pastor Dennis McFadden is our guest. We're talking about evangelicalism and Lutheran sacramental theology. So what has replaced the sacraments in evangelicalism on Sunday morning? Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Two millennia ago, Pilate uttered one of the most profound questions that we still ask in the modern era. What is truth? Many today would say that truth, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder, or perhaps in the heart. But that's not what truth is for the Christian people of God. Truth is found in Christ alone. To learn more about the Lutheran view of truth, pick up the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness or our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Sacramental. Historical. Liturgical. You're listening to Issues Etc. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House. 
A charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We'll talk about evangelicalism and Lutheran sacramental theology. Pastor Dennis McFadden is our guest, a former Baptist pastor. He became a pastor in the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod in 2014, and he's pastoral assistant at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Folks, Lutheran missions need Lutheran pastors who are called to administer God's Word and sacraments. Luther Academy serves Lutheran pastors to the ends of the earth. For more information on this confessional Lutheran worldwide mission outreach, Visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Dennis, what has replaced the sacraments in evangelicalism on Sunday morning? Well, as I said before, Todd, I think that in in the more trendy or the larger non-denominational settings, the music, we've gone from supper to sermon to singing. And singing provides the avenue. If you look at the research that was done this last year, Almost 100% or high 90s percent of the contemporary worship songs are being produced by four groups in America. And the lead pastor of one of those groups was pretty obvious in what he said. He said, music bypasses all the intellectual barriers. And when the anointing of God is on a song, people will begin to believe things they would never believe through teaching. And that's it. We are communicating through the singing and through a particular style of music at that, a experience of transcendence where people can say, I really feel God. If you interview people coming out of a Christian concert, some of them will say that was a more sacred experience than church. Well, what do you mean more sacred than church? Well, it was 100% singing. It was 100% emotion. It was 100% being drawn into a ecstatic state without tongues, if you will where they felt a heightened sense of consciousness. If they go to church, they're going to hear a life coaching TED talk and a mini rock concert that does the same thing. But if you ask them, what is the high point of church? What's well, worship? And what they mean by worship is singing contemporary worship songs that have a particular style, a particular design, a particular effect, and not to put too fine a point on it, but a particular theology. Is that effect kind of the locus for the evangelical of what biblical theology would locate in the sacraments? Has that inner sense replaced the sacraments? That was the contention I'm making. I believe that just as the Reformation realized that the Mass alone was too narrow a base, it was the promise of God, which comes not only in the sacrament, but also in the proclamation of the gospel and in the inscripturated record of God's dealings with us, that those three avenues are the way in which God speaks to his people. And, you know, once you've taken the sacraments and turned them into mere memorials, you know, what do you have left? But how are you going to experience God? Will you experience God in that kind of emotional, 
worship experience. Now, that would be true of your larger churches. There are plenty of smaller churches. And there are other places, the confessional reformed, which are less than a half a million people. If you add up the three major confessionally reformed denominations, the PCA, the OPC, and the URNAC, or whatever that goes, if you add them up, they're less than half a million people. They have a larger than representative amount of publications coming from that body, but those people still would agree with us on the Reformation solace. Now, they would differ with us on how they understand the sacrament. Confessional Calvinists are not Zwinglians. Evangelicals tend to be more in the Zwingli camp. Confessional Calvinists tend to have a higher view of sacraments than non-denominational Christians in America do. But other than uh, confessional Lutherans and that tiny sliver of confessional reform people, the bulk of American Christians would identify either as Roman Catholics, maybe 17, 18% of people, or as evangelicals. The evangelical core is about 25% of the American population. And most of those would be oriented towards something that is a lot more the way I've been describing it with singing replacing everything else. Now, you still have Bible churches, you have John MacArthur's, you have people like that that are going to view themselves as Bible teachers. But increasingly, the big churches, the churches that Chris Roseboro talks about, are churches that are going to be replacing sacraments with singing. If that inner experience becomes kind of where God does his thing, where, I, where God is acting, it's not a big step to say that inner experience is also my source of authority or my test for truth. So in that vein, does it surprise you that both Rick Warren lately and Bill Hybels a little earlier have decided to depart from their long-held position of the ordination of women and ordain women largely because they felt like it? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I learned a principle back in college that came out of a 1957 article by a psychologist by the name of Leon Festinger about cognitive dissonance. And we human beings don't like our feelings and our cognitive opinions to be at variance. And we see that in families where, for instance, major political figures who take a stand against gay marriage introduce bills in Congress in defense of marriage. And then one of their children, quote, comes out and within weeks, they flip their position, and now they become, you know, overt supporters of, of same-sex marriage. They can't reconcile the difference between their ideas and their opinions and their emotions. And so they tend to go for their emotions. And I think that once we surrender a objective truth outside of us in the scripture, an objective truth outside of us, I am baptized an objective truth outside of us. I receive the body and blood of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in, with, and under the bread and the wine. When that goes by the wayside, then what I'm left with is my feelings. I really appreciated what Bill Swirla said uh, in a recent program where he talked about that very reality, that expressive individualism, Americans seem addicted to the idea that their feelings become the arbiter of truth. And if you have an experience that is going to change, oftentimes, what you think is true and what you think is not true. What would you say to Lutherans who suggest that we should adopt some of the teachings and practices of evangelicalism's big box churches? 
<laughs> don't, <laughs> don't. I realized the lure because a lot of these young seminarians are coming out of seminary and they're going into smaller congregations and maybe the church is in a period of decline and they're having a hard time retaining their younger families. They want to be part of a big box church where there's programming for every niche group within the family and where they have all kinds of things going for them and numbers are growing and money seems plentiful and facilities are fabulous. And they're going to come up against elders who are going to say, well, pastor, maybe if we soft soap some of this Lutheran stuff and start doing what the big box church is doing down the street, we'll have the success they have. They miss the point that the big box church is successful because it has one eye on the Christian faith and one eye on marketing. And it tries to incorporate as much of secular business practice as possible in attracting the consumer, the customer, and to treat the church experience as a consumer product. And very few Lutheran pastors are going to be good at that. I tell my younger friends all the time, we have a steady stream of seminarians that come through our congregation because we're a larger church in Fort Wayne. And so we always have at least two or three field workers and a deaconess field worker. And I, I keep reminding them, don't be seduced by the big box church. You can't compete with them on a level playing field because what they are offering is not what you're offering. And if you are, you shouldn't be a Lutheran pastor. And speak to the evangelical listener. What does confessional Lutheran theology and practice offer? Confessional Lutheran practice for me, Todd, and for my wife, offered us the opportunity to get off the treadmill of works and to get off that compulsive, introspective navel-gazing of looking inward and measuring our standing with God by our the quantity or the quality of our faith. And it gave us a way of doing what Luther said. Luther famously was a depressed individual with a host of physical maladies that made him cranky and curmudgeonly and everything else. And when he was doubting, when he was depressed, when he was struggling, he would say, remember your baptism. Remember, your bap remember you are baptized. I am baptized. I am a Christian because of what God has done for me in Jesus Christ, not because of how much faith I have or how pure my faith is or how effective my life of service is. I rest my hat on the reality of what Jesus did. Pastor Dennis McFadden is a former Baptist pastor. He became a pastor in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in 2014. He's pastoral assistant at Emanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. You can read his Issues Etc. journal column, From Baptist Minister to Lutheran, My Six-Decade Journey on the Wittenberg Trail, on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Dennis, thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. It was a delight to be with you. Friday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss gender ideology and idolatry with Pastor Matt Rieger. We'll talk with Dr. Scott Stegemeyer about theological anthropology for bioethics. And it's This Week in Pop Christianity with Chris Rosebro. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening.
Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. The Third Commandment teaches us to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We do this when we hold God's Word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Jesus invites the weak and heavy laden to rest in Him, our true rest, because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. This weekend, rest in Jesus as you hear His Word and receive His gifts. If you are in Southern Illinois, you're invited to join Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstadt to rest in the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Learn more at trinitymilstadt.org.